0: Welcome to the SOS Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Smallwood, and you are listening to Episode 6. Today's episode is good and powerful and encouraging, but it also contains some really difficult subject matter. If you are triggered by topics surrounding grief and loss, please be aware this episode may not be for you. According to a U.S. National Center for Health Statistics report, 50,000 U.S. children die each year. The death of a child is one of the most painful things a person can experience in a lifetime. Parents aren't supposed to outlive their children, and the loss of a child can provoke an existential crisis of sorts where people question their faith, their purpose, and the meaning of life itself. Research in the Journal of Family Psychology indicates that even 18 to 20 years after the death of a child, a parent will still exhibit more depressive symptoms, more health problems, and less reports of emotional well being than peers that did not experience such a loss. My guest today is Becca Bowman. She's a coach's wife, a proud and grieving mama, a writer, and a pursuer of joy. She has faced the brutal loss of a child and the diagnosis of a rare and fatal illness in both of her boys. She is strong, she is brave, she is truly amazing it was a true honor to interview her and hear her powerful story of holding on to hope and joy in the face of unspeakable difficulty. Becca had some minor technical difficulties a few times during recording. If you hear a few seconds of silence, don't be alarmed. The interview will continue. Here's my interview with Becca. Hi, Becca.
1: Hi. (laughs) Thanks for
0: bearing with me there.
1: No problem.
0: So I'm excited to have you on today. Um, we met through a writing group um, called Hope Writers. For mm. my listeners that don't know what that is, it's a an amazing um, kind of coaching group for uh, writers, especially uh, writers that focus on faith and hope and things like that. And I definitely think, after hearing your story, that you fit in that category.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: So I wanted to start, um, just tell our listeners a little bit about Becca and then we'll dive into, um,
1: your story. Okay. Um, yeah, I am, oh goodness. Where do I start? I I guess, um, I was a children's pastor for a lot of years and, um, always felt like I was going to be in ministry. That was a passion of mine. Um, I love playing soccer I am a mom. I'm a, a wife to a track coach. Um, and I love it. We love fun popping in at his practices and cheering his team on. Um, yeah. We have lived kind of all over the place. We've lived in Idaho. We lived in Illinois. We lived in California. We're back in Idaho again. So, oh, wow. That's been really fun for me just to get to experience a whole bunch of different parts of the United States. And
0: yeah, that's know, very
1: cool. Yeah,
0: I'm a track mom for the first time ever. I have seven kids and this is the first time that any of them have had um, an interest in track. And so our youngest daughter is she's um, the top for middle. I mean, she's in middle school for her middle yeah. school team. She's top with shot put in discus. So that's been fun. Are you there?
1: Oh, can you hear me?
0: Yes, now I can.
1: <laughs> oh right. no, my screen can't go dark. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah, I was just saying, um, track was not on my my radar at all until I started dating my husband, and I realized that there's some cool things about it. Yeah, <laughs> so. there
0: are. I I still say it's some of the most boring time of my life um, spent oh. at those track meets, but
1: it's exciting for about two seconds, exactly. or you know, 20...
0: Exactly. <laughs> Oh my. Um, So Becca, your story focuses on when you became a mom and um, just motherhood in general and what has transpired through the lives of your boys. So would you um, tell us about becoming a mom for the first time and then what happened from there?
1: Okay. Um, Yeah, I became a mom for the first time in May of 2010, we welcomed our little Titus Daniel into the world. Um, he was beautiful and perfect, and I, you know, it's all those new mom things that you worry about, and it all melts away. Right. <laughs> um, the sleep deprivation, all those fears, and I just fell in love immediately. Um, so we brought him home, and I think the first five minutes of being home with him, <laughs> we just full-on panicked. Um, you know, lost it. And then we were like, okay, no, we can do this. I think we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and three years later we thought we've done a pretty good job with this guy. I think we're ready to be parents again. And we had um, Eli Michael, our youngest, and he, that was in 2013. Um, and so right after Eli was born, Eli was probably about nine months old. And we got a phone call from Titus's school he was in preschool. That um, he had had a seizure at school, and they had rushed him to the hospital. And so, of course, we uh, hurried over to the hospital to check to see what was going on. Mm-hmm. And we did we ran a bunch of tests and everything, and everything came back fine. There was no explanation for the seizure. They kind of just figured it was going to be a one and done sort of thing. A lot of kids, I guess, have you know have that. So they sent us home, and in the the couple weeks that followed, or the day, a few days that followed, really, he had several more very large seizures.
0: Oh wow! Um,
1: we wound up getting into neurology. He was diagnosed with epilepsy, and um, you know, put on medication. And we just over the next few months really struggled with that because his body kept breaking through the medication. We still couldn't figure out why he was having seizures all of a sudden. Well, and Um, for
0: people that have never witnessed a child having seizures, I have. And that is traumatic to watch. It's frightening and scary.
1: And I mean, we, no matter how many you see, they're terrible. It just drops. You have chills and you're, you know, praying. Yeah. it's it's terrible. Um, he always had this kind of eerie cry that he would let out right before one was going to happen. And we just got so used to hearing that, that we'd bolt, you know, it was like, as soon as we'd hear it, we'd go running. Right. He was so, um, yeah. So, and during that time, while Titus is having seizures, Eli's having other issues. He's, um, having what they call our alties, which is a apparent life-threatening episodes where he would spit everything up and it would come out all of his, like at his nose, out of his mouth. And he wouldn't be able to breathe and he turned blue and we're suctioning him out. And so oh, basically my, time, my husband and I were living on high alert, you know, <laughs> we were taking night shifts, like right. just to watch kids because at any point one could choke or one could have a seizure. And I mean, we were just I can't, I hardly remember. I mean, I really remember certain things about those days, but it's so blurry. Um, Anyway, during that time, we wound up moving from um, Chicago area down to Southern California for my husband's job. And when we moved, we just decided we locked into all the specialists um, for Titus. And we just said, you know what, we want to, we want answers as to why he's having these seizures. Right Um, right before we moved, Eli had a stomach surgery. He had a G2 placed. We were in a stable place for him. We had fixed his reflux problems. Um, he was gaining weight appropriately. So we kind of, he was like the easy one.
0: The easy um, one with the feeding too.
1: Exactly, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, um, so we got into this, into a neurologist and he gave us a list of things for Titus that we were going to check off the list just to start trying to hammer away at these um, tests to see if we could find why he's having seizures.
0: Right.
1: And, um, And so we, it it was, let's see, February of 2014 when he had his first seizure. So um, over the course of that year, like after we moved to California and everything, he started having a lot more symptoms that were really scary and unexplainable. Um, He was obviously losing his vision. Mm. Um, He had, you know, he originally was, could speak and, and communicate with us. And all of a sudden he was stuttering and having a really hard time coming up with words that used to be so very easy for him to say. Um, and so over time, like he was losing his language, Mm -hmm. Uh, he was starting to fall a lot. Like it would, it just sent chills through me because we lived in a, a little condo with tile floors everywhere. And, and he would just be standing there and all of a sudden he would just drop Mm -hmm. and his were just like, you know, collapsing. And, um, his body would fall and he would, he would do that like multiple times a day. I couldn't even count how many, um, we finally put him in a helmet to help with, uh, you know, hitting his head, mm-hmm. uh, his seizures, they changed in the kind and the amount we ha- we were counting over a hundred a day at one point, wow. um, of seizures. So, and so our- I, I-,
0: I think listeners need to grasp that prior to that first seizure, your, yeah. your boys were healthy Like normal little rambunctious toddler preschoolers.
1: Exactly. Like just dropped into
0: your life from out of the blue.
1: Yeah. I call it like major whiplash. (laughs) What is happening? Yeah. And it was from that first seizure, I felt like all we were doing was reacting to whatever was coming next. And there was no way for us to anticipate what that next thing would be because we didn't know what we were fighting against. Um. yeah, so Titus, I mean, before, before that first seizure, he had a real slight speech delay, but he was doing, he was catching up, um, and he had asthma, and that was our biggest concern, you know, breathing treatments, um, prednisone, <laughs> all yeah. that good stuff, but rambunctious, regular three, three-year-old preschooler, um, living life big, so, um, yeah, so needless to say, that, that time, that following year, um, we basically just went backwards and everything. He was potty trained. He started um, wetting his pants again and we had to put him back in diapers. Um, walking became um, very difficult for him. As I was sharing, he was falling all the time. So he went from running and jumping and you know doing everything independently to I had to help um, move him around everywhere and he eventually became wheelchair bound. Wow. Um, yeah, and the vision—he—he um, he eventually went completely blind, and this—he—he he also totally lost all of his language. And he at this no
0: point, speak. you still don't have a reason, right?
1: Yeah. So at the point we didn't have a reason. He was, um, yeah, we had him in a in a chair, a stroller, because um, he was walking so. It was so scary to let him walk on his own. He still wanted to. He still tried, mm-hmm. but we had to be right there at all times. And his vision was was basically gone. Mm-hmm. Um, his words were basically gone as well. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So then so, just before he turned five.
1: So, yeah, just before he turned five. So it was April of 2015 um early that month i got a call from our doctor we'd finally gotten an answer back on a genetic test that we um did for for diseases that are um have epilepsy as a symptom okay and so that had gotten shipped off in february and um we had been waiting and waiting for those um the the, the results to come back and in the meantime we spent most of the month of march in the hospital he lost six pounds, um, in a month on this little itty bitty skinny frame of his, Aww. um, not putting a feeding tube into him. Um, without, before we even knew what was going on because he was not eating, right. he was choking and everything. Um, I had thought as soon as we find the answer, we'll get that feeding tube out, you know, we'll recover. Right. And at that point I was still believing that we had, uh, we could bounce back from whatever this was. Right. So, um, yeah so he (laughs) I tell this story all the time I still get emotional about this part
0: well and (laughs) I I don't know that I could ever get through this interview without being emotional and I just appreciate your willingness to share this story
1: thank you yeah thank you for letting me it's it's I always say it's another redemptive stone in our pathway to be able to share our story so um so April 7th, we walk into the doctor's office and he has an answer and he's got, you know, a social worker and a psychologist in the room. Mm. That's never happened before. Right. <laughs> so I thought, okay, something kind of serious is going down today. Um, and when we we finally heard that he has what's called BATTEN, B-A-T-T-E-N disease, there's actually several types of BATTEN. Our specific type is CLN2 um, as he's explaining this disease, I mean, Titus was textbook. It was like Mm. every little thing it says that happens. I mean, he just followed that. And this is just an
0: extremely rare genetic disease.
1: Yes. And we, my husband and I both had to be carriers of it. We both Mm. had to have our mutated copy onto our, our, onto Titus and, um, Yeah, and nothing has ever popped up in any, to our knowledge, in any of our families. Right. So we had no idea. I mean, this.
0: I lost you again.
1: Here I am. Can you you. hear me? (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs)
1: Sorry. Um, I'm not sure. What did you hear last?
0: (laughs) Um, Just that it had never happened in any of your families. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, genetics were something we had never given a thought to aside from who has whose eyes right. and, and who's, who does, you know, exactly. No it's does. not in yeah. culture Yeah. Think about that. Um, so yeah. So when we found that out, we went ahead and both, both Danny, my husband and I got tested to confirm. Yes. We're both carriers. Um, and then we find out that it, because it's genetic, any child we have has a 25% chance of being affected by this disease. So of course we have Eli, who's not quite two yet. Um, so we immediately got in with genetics and wanted Eli tested. He wasn't showing any symptoms, which it's too early for, for that to come out. Right. Um, and so we got him you a know, little cheek swab and zipped it off to the genetic lab and waited some more time, <laughs> more. Um, and in the meantime, just tried to absorb you know, this, huge loss is like anticipatory right because loss. this
0: was a fatal condition correct yes. with no treatment no cure
1: exactly and that's exactly what the doctor said he said we have we can help you manage symptoms and keep him comfortable um but we have we have nothing to fight this disease
0: wow so
1: yeah and you never ever expect to be a parent hearing that you know
0: right especially about a child who's five years old
1: yeah, yeah. You, I, I always, even as it got really scary, thought as his mom, I'll be able to protect him somehow, you know, right. I just kept searching for that right answer, for the right battle weapon to pick up. And um, yeah, that moment was just, it was um, very perspective shifting for us, mm-hmm. parents and how we protect our kids.
0: Right. So. And the one in four chance that Eli would have this as well. Yeah. Came true. And,
1: yes. <laughs> and when I heard, you know, that any child and I, I thought what are the odds that both of our boys would get diagnosed? And I'm looking at Eli at that moment in that time. And he's so healthy. He's just flourishing. Um, you know, he's overcome some hard things already in his little life right. and he's doing so well. And I just thought there's no way. And I, and I really had held out, you know, hope that there would be no way that he would have it. Um, we were on vacation. It was June. So April, we got Titus's diagnosis. And that June, we were on vacation at my in-law's house. And um, the, the geneticist called mm. with results. And I answer. And she says, you know, we have results. Would you like them now? Or would you like to come in? Well, I'm yeah. going. <laughs> now and you know and then she says are you sure and I just you know my heart just broke I was like why would she ask me that if he's fine right so um I I said yes I'm sure and she, I am so sorry Becca but he has it too and um I just walked straight out the front door I didn't know what to say to anybody and um collapsed on the sidewalk and I, I mean, I probably scared the neighbor. The poor guy was like out in his driveway. He quickly walked back into his front doors. I'm just like crying on the sidewalk. And my sister-in-law followed me out. Um, She could tell something was going on and um, just came and, you know, held me. Um, She helped me call Danny, my husband, because he was off with his dad doing some stuff. And so he came back home and we just spent the next Several hours calling all of the family all over again and delivering this news all over again. And, and grieving. just, kind of, yeah, totally. Just, I mean, shock, grief. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, um,
0: it totally changed the landscape of your family. Like, you know, when you have babies in 2010 and 2013, and you had these expectations that were completely fair of you to have of what right. your life was going to look like. Right. And exactly decimated that. And talk to me a little bit about how you navigated that you and your husband together.
1: Oh yeah. So I, I see, when I look back, I can see how God was preparing my heart in a lot of ways. Um, so right before we got the diagnosis for Titus, I you know, we're journeying all this really hard, unknown stuff. And, and I'm just, I'm learning how to be okay with not having all the answers. Cause I could, I didn't mm-hmm. know what we we're fighting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and God, you know, all the, a, a lot of well-meaning people were telling us, you know, we need to pray for his healing. We need to anoint him. Um, we, you need to just pray harder. Just ask God, like just have faith. And I had so much faith and I had so much, um, you know, I I desperately wanted him to heal right. my son. Um, but there was something that God was revealing to me that was so helpful in my journey. And that was that the greatest miracle that he could do in our story in Titus was not going to be a physical healing, but a miracle of heart change. And, and so that for me was like an initial call to start sharing our story. Mm-hmm. And, um, put God on display in the middle of it. And so I started blogging before our diagnosis um, that this was, this was going to be, the, I know the greatest miracle he can do here is heart change. Mm-hmm. And so um, all through this whole process, as we were thrown <laughs> these unexpected things, um, my husband and I really had to keep our perspective on a bigger story
0: you
1: mm-hmm. um, had to learn how to step out of our circumstances that were so far out of our control we could not change them right
0: you there
1: yep sorry okay. um <laughs> to rise above our little story and what's happening you know in the midst of this and all the things that could consume us, we could rise above that and see that there is something greater and something redemptive at work. Right. And so that for us was like the hope that we needed and the um, just knowing that what our boys were going through, wasn't going to be for nothing. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and a year and a half later you lost Titus.
1: Yeah. So we, um, yeah, the disease really tore through Titus fast. It was, um, September of 2016 and we, at the end of August, it became really clear to me that he was, his body was done. Mm I actually was terrified of saying anything to anybody about it. I felt like it, um, I felt like it made me look like I was giving up Mm -hmm. and, um, it wasn't um it wasn't giving up at all. It was actually um one of my biggest moments of loving the greatest I ever could as a parent. Right. Because I'm watching his body and I know he's you know he's suffering and he's having a hard time. He's tired. I'm tired and you know. To, to want to keep him with me, I, that, that's love. But to allow him to go, that's even bigger love. And um, I uh, remember when our hospice nurse came over right around that time. And <laughs> I was planning on having a conversation with her and telling her, what are you seeing? What do you think we should, you know, what's our next steps here? And I just couldn't get the words out of my mouth. And she said Becca I brought some material I want you to read it's about end of life because I really feel like Titus is moving that direction mm-hmm. and I'm like you know, and to know that she was on the same page as me was so validating right I'm so thankful that she brought it up because I was I just couldn't get it past my throat yeah um, so we we had a meeting a whole hospice meeting we brought our pastor and his wife in. my parents were there um, we all just kind of came together came up with a plan of comfort for e- or for Titus, and um, prayed together, and um, that, then we just journeyed into those final weeks. And so that that final week with Titus um, was incredible and hard. I remember on Tuesday he passed away on a Saturday, and on Tuesday I'm sitting there holding him, counting his breaths, and I get an email that. <laughs> That Eli
0: was invited was getting... into a clinical trial yes. yes, to try this new therapy that exactly. um, you said, you know, it showed promise of maybe slowing down the progression of this horrible disease.
1: Right. And, and that I it... had
0: to feel like some kind of like little glimmer of if comfort. I...
1: Yeah, it was so, it was so weird to us, the irony and our whole story we've been sharing that pain and joy go together. Yes, they, they just
0: coexist.
1: Down. Yeah. Thank you and that moment for us was like the moment, you know, to show like, well, here we are counting the breath, breaths of our oldest while our youngest is being handed this new hope um, to fight against the disease that before then we had nothing to fight against. Yeah. So, um, so we obviously we were so excited because there was only five spot, spots opening. He got the fourth one. Wow. Um, they wanted us to be flying to Columbus, Ohio, a couple weeks later, and we're just kind of hanging, hanging in this the you know this space. Like, I really don't know what's coming next. Right. Um,
0: Heaven's waiting room. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So we put that to the side. We said, of course, yes, we were in. Um, and then we just closed that email out, we put it to the side and we spent the rest of our time with Titus and, um, you know, we had worship together and we just held him and he passed with my husband and I both right there with him. Um, and it was just one of those, like, he was breathing so, um, amazing and peacefully and just that last breath. And it was just, he was gone. It was like, he ran to Jesus and, and then we made plans to get Eli to Ohio um, and we flew out to Ohio 10 days later.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: We went into, I got there, you know, this is a clinical trial, for right. your like a brain surgery. All this. I had not even read the consent forms. We just got there. We're like, yes, we're just, we're doing this, whatever this is. And they're like, well, do you want to read the, you know, it's like 20 pages or something. The consent form. We're like, just hand it to us. We'll sign it. I, I don't, I can't even think right, right. now. Right, so
0: he required brain surgery to place a port, right, to even start this trial.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so
0: craziness. Ten days later.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep. So we we got there. We went right in into brain surgery. Um, he got his port placed. That kid recovered so awesome. He was just just
0: miraculous. Absolutely.
1: Becca? I'm so sorry. I keep thinking I'm.
0: (laughs) So tell me about, so that was September of 2016.
1: Yeah. How
0: is Eli doing now?
1: He's um, <laughs> incredible. He's five. So that same age that Titus had lost everything, right. lost his ability to talk and walk and eat and all that stuff. Um, so in comparison, Eli Eli is blind. He's lost his vision, um, but he is completely 100% mobile on his own. So he's walking, running, jumping, um, which is kind of an interesting with, you know, losing vision. We get a lot of bonks and everything, but he's so resilient and he figures out his environment so fast. Um, So his vision, he's, he's kind of overcoming that. Mm -hmm. Um, He does, he does have a significant speech delay, but we understand him and we have ways to communicate with him that work for us. Um, he's completely eating by mouth. He's just like most people, if they just look at him from a distance would not know anything was wrong with him, Right. He was anything. So um, he is joyful. That kid's happy everywhere he goes. He spreads joy. <laughs> and he's, um, a goofball. He's a total clown. He loves making people laugh. And if he does make you laugh, he's just going to keep going <laughs> until yeah. we tell him to stop. So um, yeah, he's, and it's just been amazing. He's on infusion number, oh goodness, I think we're like 67 or 68 this week.
0: Wow. So what yeah. a
1: gift. Yes. It's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, it is.
0: And listening to your story, I it, it hits you in your gut, like as a mom to imagine what you've walked through and what you're continuing to walk through, just like takes my breath. But, yeah, But yet, I've been on your blog at um, can'tstealmyjoy.com, and the message of hope and resilience and love, and uh, I'm just amazed by you. Can you tell me a little bit about how you hung on to your joy?
1: Yeah, I think it was... Um... For me, it's a glimpse of God's goodness and his love for us because he did not let go of me. Um, I, I clung, I mean, I journaled and I cried and I screamed at him and I cursed at him and I pleaded. And I mean, he has heard every little thing <laughs> from my brain. Um, and, and in the midst of that, he has shown me just such incredible goodness I went from thinking joy was something, you know, happy to it's it's something deeper inside me that is a reflection of of Jesus. Um so so I I guess he showed me goodness through community. Um that was huge for us. Our story, we have so many stories in our in our little community of people who just rose up and came around us in ways that um, would have totally drowned us, both like finances, just with like house cleaning, um, meal prep, you know, all these things. And I just see God's hand in all of that and how he has uh, has taken care of us through our community. I was watching this news story of this little guy. His name is Luke, and he was in third grade. He was fighting cancer. And he said um, about his classmates, he said, they're just supporting me. And it's like, I don't have to be afraid anymore. And Mm -hmm. when I heard that, I was like, I have to write that down because he nailed it. That's exactly how we felt. It wasn't that they could come in and rescue our circumstances. But the fact that we were together and fighting this and supporting, they were supporting us. We didn't have to be afraid of what was coming.
0: Yes. When I was recovering from an unexpected health event, um, it was my friends who just came and sat on the bed and had coffee with me. And let me, let me feel whatever I was feeling. Like there was no expectation to, you know, keep my chin up and all of that kind of stuff. Those were the people that made the biggest difference to me because I didn't feel alone.
1: Right. Yep. And that was huge. And that was for me was just confirmation that God's goodness remains. Yes. In really ugly places.
0: Yes. And he works his miracles through people. Yes.
1: Yeah most definitely
0: so tell me um about how this impacted your marriage I the death of a child is one of the biggest stressors a couple can go through in a marriage um how have you guys maintained your connection because everyone grieves differently um how have you been able to hold that space for one another
1: we, ha- we had an amazing pastor during the time we were going through all this with Titus, who um, was also our very good friend and still is. And he and his wife came over fairly often to our house um, as Titus is kind of going downhill. And I remember he was so, so great about beginning the conversation about when Titus is gone mm-hmm. and you are grieving, what are you most afraid of? You know it was like kind of a, a question framed like, Are you afraid of how Danny will react to you right. when you grieve? And is Danny afraid of how you will react to him when he grieves? And how does he need to grieve? And how do you need to grieve? And Danny and I are like complete opposites. I mean, <laughs> I would think he's the ISTJ to my ENFP, you know, yes. it's totally yeah. opposite. And um, so that was really good for us to have that conversation yeah. beforehand. And I mean, we had, it's not like I want to use the word luxury, but because we knew we were going to lose Titus, mm-hmm. we had the ability to have those conversations beforehand. Whereas I know some losses are so sad.
0: Right. Um, well, and I think that your pastor gave you a gift by yeah. starting that conversation early, that that's incredibly uh, therapeutic.
1: It was huge, yeah. yeah. Because I, I will talk about it all day long, or you know, journal, or, or cry, or whatever. And my husband will not. Right. And so that, you know, was so helpful for us to know that's just us dealing with it in our way. Yeah. And, um, and then we just try. We have always tried to stay very connected to each other. We love um, being involved in each other's lives and supporting each other. And so, you know, date nights have been important. We we have kept that up. And I know a lot of families. Um, going through stuff like this, like, it, because we had such an amazing support system, we were able to take weekly date nights, mm-hmm. um, all the way through. and, um, so that has been really helpful for us too, is just prioritizing that and not allowing it to slide. And it has, I mean, it has a few times there have been of moments course. where we, yeah, you know, that hasn't happened, but overall, like it's, it's a, a big priority of ours. So, yeah.
0: So one question that I ask all of my podcast guests is how have you been able to maintain your sense of Becca in the midst of all of these roles and caring for a child at the end of their life? And how did you stay true to yourself through all of that? I'm not sure if you heard
1: me did I heard you um it has looked very different for me um depending on the stage that we were in Mm -hmm. and we just recently moved again um for my husband's job in the fall in October and I stepped out of working and everything as well and so I've been I've been I just took a um a writing course by Ted Decker creative way and he spends a lot of the time talking about our identity Mm -hmm. and how we are we're fundamentally, we're the lights of the world. We are hits, we're Christ's. And um, all these little roles that we take on are like sandcastles and, and they might build up and be beautiful for a long time, or they might crash and fall. Right. And when we put our identity into these little sandcastles and they crash and fall, you know, what happens to us? Yes. And it's <laughs> these types
0: of situations in life that bring that to the forefront.
1: Totally, because yeah. I'm a mom, you know, and I love that role. And yes, I'm still a mom to Eli. But when Titus died, my mom role felt stripped away. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I had, I do have to do. I the last few months have been a lot of searching, um, for what that is. And ultimately, I am just, I am, I am his. I am Christ's and the light of the world. And so my my you know, ability to be in this world is not about just surviving and holding up all these sandcastles, but instead I get to, um, I get to live life discovering who God is and his love in all of it,
0: yes. and,
1: you know, and hold on to this hope that there is this eternal, amazing life after this life is done. And so that's, you know, I guess the forefront of how I approach things now. Is how, what do I get to discover about my daddy today, and all of this, mm-hmm. um, and what does he have to say through me um, and my experience, and just being real and honest about what I'm feeling, and um, and sharing that. So, um, so I mean, there's little 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 sandcastles through my life that I've loved that have crashed and burned because I couldn't do them anymore. Like one of them, soccer. I love. I played soccer all the way through college. I hadn't played in 12 years and I just recently started picking that up again because it just makes me feel so alive. That's awesome. And, you know, it's something I can, one, I'm burning calories and that's great, <laughs> but, you know, but it's almost like finding that sense of my, my kid, Becca again. Yes. And that's wonderful.
0: Yes. I love uh, that. And yeah. that is so healing to your soul.
1: It is, it's awesome. I don't have to think about anything. I can just go for, you know, 44 minutes of an (laughs) indoor soccer game and just play. And it's awesome, so.
0: So tell me a little bit about um, your future plans.
1: So I am, I'm a dreamer. I'm dreaming up all kinds of stuff. Um, (laughs) Right now I have cooking, um, I have a book coming out in the fall and it is our story this, you know, memoir style mm-hmm. and, and loss in hopes to speak to other broken, wounded souls. Um, and so that's coming out um, September, or October. We're so <laughs> nailing down the date. Um, that's with our editor right now. And then in the meantime, I have God has just um, put this passion on my heart for families with disabilities, people with disabilities and um, helping churches learn how to connect them into a community because mm-hmm. it is a huge gap in our culture it is
0: a huge and, gap we talked about yeah. this last week on, or this week's episode of my podcast with another oh, mom um, to it. yeah and she was saying like parents of kids with special needs is like an unreached people group like they need missionaries oh, yes. yes yes because it's yes. so hard for them to even get to church let alone get anything out of church
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, there's this um, it's scary to churches because they don't feel trained. They don't feel right. equipped. Um, they also see um, families with or kids or whoever with disabilities as, OK, here's all these things that we need to do to provide for them. But I I just want to I want to start engaging a conversation and challenging people to shift their thinking, because like my Eli is so gifted. And so needed as a body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And if he's not there, the body of Christ isn't complete.
0: Right. They're missing out on his joy.
1: Yes. Yeah. And his humor. Exactly. And the fact that he's there, he's um, adding something that is so much more complete than when he wasn't there. And so we are missing that in our churches because those people aren't there.
0: I love that perspective.
1: Yeah. So cooking up some stuff for that.
0: That's awesome. what is the prognosis for Eli right now? Like what are the doctors telling you?
1: It is so unknown. Eli's a little trailblazer, he was um, one of the the youngest to ever be treated at that time. And so we don't have a whole lot of people or kids before him to look at and say, Oh, down the road, that's what it's going to look like. There's, um, There's a couple of kids who were treated a little bit older than Eli was that are doing well we are just living day by day. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's healthy. Um, he's doing amazing, but yeah, we, this disease, we just never know when it's going to hit or what it's going to hit, you know? So we're, we're enjoying the days that we have. And I love
0: (laughs) that you have that, um, framework. It's a really healthy place to be for everything that's going on in your life right
1: now. Yeah. Yeah. Before I let
0: you go, um, Tell us a little bit about what you're watching, reading, and listening to.
1: Oh, man. Okay, let's see. I'm always reading a book. <laughs> I have I'm Reading the Next Right Thing by Emily P. Freeman right now, yes. which I think a writer probably is. So good. <laughs> yeah, it's been great. And um, I'm getting ready. My next book in line is Love Does by Bob Goff. I know I'm behind on that one. Yeah,
0: you'll enjoy uh, that. Yeah.
1: I his Everybody Always before and just totally loved it. So I'm excited about that one. Yeah. Um, let's see. What are we watching? We're on a, a designated survivor kick. Oh, my gosh. You-
0: that is such a good show.
1: Yeah. yeah we, my,
0: my daughter and I watched that. that.
1: Okay. So we're – yeah, we're on a designated survivor kick. We're enjoying <laughs> that one. Um, listening to – well, okay. So my – Eli is a total Lauren Daigle fan. We call him – his little voice crush. Um, so we always have Lauren Daigle on. We're listening to her constantly, well, and you when can't he can't go
0: wrong with her.
1: Oh, I love her. She's so it's yeah. We just love her music. So we dance and we sing, and um, she calms him down when nothing else can. Mm-hmm. So that's um, really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's it's awesome. great.
0: Well, I appreciate your time so much, and I am gonna have um, information for how my listeners can. Learn more about your story and connect with you. Um, they'll find that on the show notes page at our stories. And I'm also okay. going to include a link um, to an explanation of Batten disease because I had never even heard of it before um, hearing yeah. your story. And I think it's important for people to be aware of you know these rare diseases that cause such tragedy to families.
1: Oh, I appreciate that. That's awesome.
0: So thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you. It was great to be able to chat with you. I so appreciate it.
0: Thanks. Take care.
1: All right. Bye, Melissa.
0: Wow. Becca's story will take your breath. She and I were both in tears at various points in that interview. Washington Irving said, there is a sacredness in tears. They are not the mark of weakness, but of power. They speak more eloquently than 10,000 tongues. They are the messengers of overwhelming grief, of deep contrition, and of unspeakable love. I'm so grateful to Becca for having the courage to share her story and her tears with us today, and I hope her unquenchable thirst for joy left an impression on your heart like it did mine. Until next time, go write your story.